Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast. My name is Bex and I love books and that is handy because I am the host. So I have got a lot of stuff happening in today's show. We'll be chatting to former children's laureate Lauren Child. We'll be speaking to, I think, one of the kings of kids books, Jeff Kinney. And I'll be telling you about some amazing Christmassy books that are coming out very soon indeed. It's going to be an absolute corker of a show. So let's kick it off with that chat with Lauren Child. So I am joined right now by a very famous author, former children's laureate, Lauren Child. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. Oh, I am so thrilled that you're here, not only because um, obviously you're a pretty big deal in the world of books. Um, I won't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, Lauren. I'm trying to tick off interviewing as many children's laureates as possible. And uh, you've been somebody who's been pretty elusive. <laughs> Have I? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> they never tell me, so I don't know about it. <laughs> well, you're you're um I, I don't know. I mean, I was going to say golden goose. That's not really a phrase, but you're the you're the one I've been looking for for a little while. So I'm thrilled. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and uh, you you come to us with a brand new book in the Clarice Bean series. It is Think Like an Elf. Uh, can you tell us what Clarice is up to in this book? Well, I, I, I've been wanting to write another Clarice Bean for a long time because I think it's been about something like 15 years since I wrote a Clarice Bean story. And she's always been my favourite character to write. And she's where I started, actually. She was my first book. And I was about to write something that was quite gritty, in a way, about things that were going on for her. And then all of everything happened. And I thought the last thing we want is is a sad thing happening to Clarice Bean. And I decided to write about something that would be a happy thing, which was uh, the thing that we were missing, which is all those get-togethers and um, celebrations and festivals and things. And I chose Christmas just because Christmas is the sort of festival that I grew up with. And so I had very, very happy childhood memories of it. So that's the setting for the story. Yeah. So you've got Clarice and uh, her mum and dad decide, I understandably, that they want to have a quiet little Christmas, just family, just the uh, seven of them, just just together. And uh, she's a little bit disappointed because she wants a big bash. And I don't blame her because Christmas is one of those times when you think you're used to everybody coming together. Well, yes. and And that really came from my own childhood where... My sisters and I always wanted as many um, of our cousins and things to come along as possible. So we had we we would tend to have relatively big Christmases, um, either at my cousin's house or they would come to us, and everyone would pack in and sleep on the floor and you know all of that. And and I remember it so fondly and the idea of just being your usual family seemed terribly boring. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is funny, isn't it? Like you feel like on that day in particular, you need as many people as possible to be together. Yes, it's an odd thing. And, and, I, and I, I rather love it because it, I, I notice every year this happens, that as you get closer to Christmas, everyone wants to invite you around. Yes. And they want you before Christmas. And actually, when you probably need to be invited around is in early January, when yeah. nice is really, really dreary. Um, but it's as if it's if it's this sort of we've got to come round before Christmas or by Christmas. Um, and yeah, that does seem to be a sort of common thread about about Christmas get-togethers. 
But this is how Clarice feels. Uh, wants the family, wants all the friends to be together. And also she's uh, desperate to find the elusive Christmas spirit. She wants all of the Christmas spirit to be in the family. It feels like at a time it might be evaporating due to a, a slight mishap with a turkey uh, and a few other issues. She's, she's not too sure whether she can get together all the big Christmas stuff this year. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And she, she starts to feel very forlorn because she realises she won't be able to do all the potato peeling and and the cooking and everything because her parents have sort of said yes you can you can you can have a big christmas but we're not we're not doing it and and she realizes just how many potatoes you need to peel if you're <laughs> going to invite 19 or have 19 people at the table and then she realizes that in fact she can invoke the christmas spirit herself she can be the christmas spirit by doing all of those things which is thinking outside of yourself. So rather than making your Christmas list of everything you want, you start thinking about what everybody else wants. And and then you actually generate everything you've ever wanted simply by making it happen yourself. It is honestly, I so I read this book last night and it was, I, I closed it and I was like, well, I am ready for Christmas. It is the most Christmassy <laughs> book. <laughs> Immediately it was like, I am full of Christmas. It was like reading the book, uh, Clarice picked, gave me a Christmas spirit as well. Also, we should say that your, I mean, the illustrations are just beautiful. Um, you must take a lot of time thinking about where all the pictures are going to go in relation to the book to add extra layers to it. I can't tell you how difficult it is to illustrate a novel because unlike a, a picture book, you, you know exactly how many pages you've got, how much text is going to be on each page, what the text is going to be because that's all planned out. And then therefore you know what you have to draw in and and how much space you have to leave for the words. When you're doing a novel, you have to really um, make sure that your picture falls exactly where it should do within the text. If a, if a line moves on to the next page, it will affect the next picture. And so I work with... Um, on this book, I work with my designer called Goldie, and she is just amazing. We've worked together for so many years now. And and so I will send her lots of tiny little thumbnails, we call them. So they're only a couple of inches big. And I try and plot out what do I think I need to draw or what will be interesting to see on this page or how should we design the text to make the the words almost part of the illustration. So the way that you lay the words out almost turns them into a picture. And and she's brilliant at that. So we, we spend probably, I don't know, I think on this one, we probably spent about six weeks just working out how it was going to fit together before I can even start all the drawings. So it's a big process. It's massive, but it pays off because, it, like I said, it's such a beautiful book and it feels like a real gift, especially for Christmas. It feels like really lush and like there's so many layers to it. So it, it works well. And why did you say, um, why was Clarice your favourite character you, you mentioned earlier? I think because she's where everything changed for me. So I had I had a number of years of things just not working out, not knowing what to do and feeling pretty hopeless about you know, everyone else seemed to to have this very clear idea of what they might want to do for a career. Uh, at least it seemed that way. And, um, and I just didn't know. And I knew it had to be to do with drawing in some way, but I didn't know what. 
and I never meant to be a, a writer, that's for sure, and certainly not a children's writer. I had no uh, thoughts that I'd be a children's writer and illustrator. But really what I wanted to do was to design things um, and then I realized that, oh, I really want to write a film. I really want to make a film. And so I started writing Clarice Bean really to perhaps become a film and maybe not even a film for children. And and it sort of turned into a book completely by accident. Amazing. And do we have to wait as long for the next uh, next installation from her? Or do you think you'll be writing a little bit more pretty soon? I think <laughs> I can't do that. Um, <laughs> so I'm not able to pay my bills. So, um, so uh, no, she's going to she, there's another story coming out next spring. Oh, amazing. Okay, we'll look out for that. Uh, now, before I let you go, um, every author who comes to Fun Kids for the first time, I do a little quick fire round of questions with them. I wondered if I could do that with you right now, if that's okay. You, yeah, you might. I don't know how quick I'll be at the answers, but I'll go. <laughs> so the first question is pretty easy. It's books or Kindles? Books. Every author says that. It's, <laughs> it's pretty much law by now. Um, heroes or villains? Oh, heroes in life, definitely. <laughs> and heroes and villains in stories. You, it's very hard to have one without the other. That is a very good point. Um, film adaptation or TV adaptation? Oh, do you know what? I would have said film adaptation. But nowadays, the things we're seeing on television are so beautiful that I would say TV because it allows a story to truly unfold. So TV. <laughs> Uh, do you prefer elves or reindeer? Elves. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to say that for the book, I suppose. But I appreciate the answer. Uh, Hogwarts or Narnia? Oh, huh. now that's interesting. Because I read the Narnia books as a, as a child and I really love them. And I've never read the Harry Potter books, which is amazing. I know, it's one thing to sort oh, of wow. save up. I think I'm going to say something really controversial. Go for it. The Adams family, actually, that's where I'd go for my sort of, um, you know, because they do live in a slightly magical, unreal yeah. world. And that's the world I'd like to live in. I, I love your answer to that question. That's brilliant. Uh, great stuff. Um, do you write or work nine to five or whenever you fancy? I work, um, sometimes I work right through the night because I have to. Um, but I tend to work, I'm quite nocturnal anyway. So things tend to be um, I'm much more productive the later the day goes, actually. So I'm definitely not nine to five. And finally, the big one, this is the most important one, salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Oh, salt and vinegar. Yes! Yes, that's the one, isn't it? <laughs> How could you say anything else? <laughs> if you'd said cheese and onion, I would have terminated this interview immediately. We would have been done. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I also love salt and vinegar, as you can tell. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for chatting to us about your new book. Um, I know that Clarice Bean, Think Like an Elf, will be in the shops. It'll be in uh, all the independent shops. It'll be online right now. Everybody needs to go and grab it. So, uh, Lauren Child, thank you so much for talking to us all about it. Thank you. Oh, Lauren Child was amazing. She was everything I wanted her to be. Uh, now, going from first-time guests to second-time guests, I also caught up recently with my old pal, Jeff Kinney. You know, the one who writes all the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. Well, he has got a new book out in the series. 
Well, we welcome back to Fun Kids, the author of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Jeff Kinney. Hey, Jeff, how you going? Hi, it's great to talk to you. Well, it's been a couple of years since we last spoke. Uh, a few things have happened in those years in the world. But I am very happy that you're back with, I believe, is it the 16th book in your Wimpy Kid series? Yeah, it's the 16th book. And I've added some more books in between with the Rally Jefferson's Awesome Friendly Kids series. Uh, but it's my 16th Wimpy Kid series book. Now, uh, this one is Big Shot. And uh, oh my goodness, you, you see the title Big Shot, you think, oh my goodness, yeah, Greg is going to be a pretty big deal. And then it doesn't uh, it doesn't quite work out like that. Um, we're going into the world of sports with this one. Is it your first sports book with the Wimpy Kid series as well? It, it is. I had Greg playing soccer in the third book, but I've always wanted to do a full-on sports book. Um, I've never really found my way into it because I thought, boy, if I put a ball on the cover of the book, like a cricket ball or, you know, a bat <laughs> or something like that, that lots of kids will get turned off to it who don't like that sport. And so I realized that if I put lots of balls and lots of equipment on the cover that kids will just think of it as the sports book. Very smart. I like this move here. Um, and of course, near the beginning of the book as well, you've got a, a big old sports day, which a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. Did you have sports day when you were younger? We did. We called it field day. And I was so relieved to find from my from my UK uh, based employee uh, that you did have this kind of sports day because it wouldn't really make a sense if if you didn't. So I'm really excited about that, that there is kind of an equivalency in the US. Yeah, I didn't realize that you, you had it as well. I thought it was one of those very curiously British traditions. But um, yeah, do you have the kind of egg and spoon race and the sack race as well? Yeah, we do. We have both of those things and greased watermelons. Maybe you don't have that, no. uh, but we have, we have all sorts of different things like that. Greased watermelons? What do you do? <laughs> well, actually, that would be in the pool now that I think of it. You would you would have to get the greased watermelon from one end of the pool to another. And it's really, really hard. Crikey, yeah, I bet. And, and I can imagine, uh, similar to many other sports, not one that Greg would be amazing at. I don't think so. You know, I, I was an average athlete myself, which is great because it's I've had highs and lows, and that gave me a language to write this book in. So it was. Uh, how about you as as an athlete? Were you any good? <laughs> oh, absolutely terrible! Oh my good, I, I I can't even tell you. Like my parents, God love them, had to sit me down after a couple of disastrous sports days, and they said, "It's okay, Bex. Some people just can't run." And you know what? They were not wrong. <laughs> right, right. It's true. You know, it, it's it's really hard for most kids. You know, there are the star athletes who have lots and lots of fun. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't me as a kid. And most kids kind of have their, their experiences where they sit at the end of the bench. And uh, so I was writing this book for them because sports are sometimes absurd and sometimes, <laughs> you know, kind of humiliating. And I wanted kids to feel recognized and seen. And one thing I did really love was Greg's mom saying that sports bring people together, uh, specifically the Olympics, because I, I, although I can't play sport very well, I do love watching it. I love that thing of the whole world coming together and being part of a team. And for Greg's mum, that's quite an important thing, isn't it? It is. You know, she recognizes that everybody's living in a bubble. And it's really interesting. Like in my own house, I have two teenage boys. And of course, they don't watch television anymore the way that we did as kids. They they sort of watch TV on their phone. They watch YouTube and TikTok and things like that. So they live in their own little worlds. And uh, I think that sports really, when we have those big sporting events like the Super Bowl or the Olympics, then maybe we do sit down on the couch together, which is really great. And in this particular book, you've got Greg, who uh, does join a team, kind of doesn't really want to by accident, would we say? 
No, he, well, he he doesn't want to make the team. He tries out for basketball because his mom's making him play some sort of team sport, but he thinks that he won't make the team because he's not good enough. And then through some accidents, Greg actually does make the team and he makes the team of the worst players. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bit of a quirk of fate, isn't it? He ends up with one excellent player and then a bunch of terrible players. And, you know, it's you do think sometimes, oh, they're going to be the underdogs, but they'll still win. But it's a bit of a rocky road for them. It is. You know, I was thinking about this a lot when I started writing this book. I said, every sports movie is really the same, even if it's a sports movie about a bad team. They're bad, you know, about, until about two thirds of the way through the movie. And then all of a sudden they start to turn things around. They enter the big tournament and then they do well either they win or they lose at the end and they're kind of really formulaic so i said how can i kind of turn that upside down so i created this tournament where all the bad teams are brought together and you know it's a tournament of the worst of the worst and the way that you move on in the tournament isn't by winning it's by losing in fact if you win you get to go home and so i thought <laughs> that was a really fun way to turn that idea on its ear You've brought back a few uh, characters that haven't appeared for a while. Like, would that be right? Like uh, in the in the kind of team, like Ruby Bird and Edward Mealy. Yeah, I'm really impressed that that you recognize that. You know, you it's the, that's for the old time classic fan. Uh, you know, I have all these characters that I don't often revisit in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid universe because I like to keep expanding the universe. I don't like to kind of look inwards. Um, so yeah, I brought back at, at least four of the characters on Greg's basketball team are old time classic characters. So do you have like a big kind of almost a pin board where you've got like post-it notes of all of the names of old characters and you see if you can link them up into the new world? Do you have like a big planning station? I don't at all. In fact, I forget about what's in the last book as soon as oh. I'm into the next book. <laughs> And it's really a little bit terrifying. Sometimes I'll write the same joke, you know, and I won't real. somebody will say, hey, you wrote that joke already. And I'm like, oh, man, I really got to read my own books. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, if you've got 16 of them, it's pretty hard to keep up with yourself, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. 16 times 12 is somewhere around. Uh, I can't do the math, but it's that many pages. Six, 16 <laughs> times 217 pages. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's, it's plenty, I would say. Um, also, out of interest, why did you pick basketball for him to play? Because I know, obviously, uh, in America, baseball, American football is a big deal. You do mention soccer as well. Was basketball just a fun thing you thought you could write about? Yeah, basketball is sort of universal in a way that other sports aren't necessarily, especially in the U.S., where... Uh, just about anybody can play basketball. It doesn't require a lot of a equipment. You know, the court is a pretty simple setup. Um, and I did think about doing soccer, but I already did that in the third book. But that's really, if I was to try to appeal to the most people in the world, I would have chosen soccer. But if you think about it, if I had done this book on baseball, for example, or American football, and a lot of people would be a little bit confused by that in a huge uh, part of the readership is outside of the US. So I thought basketball was a pretty good bet. I love it. Keeping it universal. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously basketball is something that we play a bit here in the UK as well. I was reading about the history of basketball recently. It's quite interesting, isn't it? The way that I think originally there was no actual bottom to the net. Yeah. Very, very well, well, there there actually was a bottom to the net, right? So it, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Right, right. So it was a peach basket and the ball would just, uh, it would land in there and just sit there. Uh, what's really funny is I actually did an event at the Basketball Hall of Fame, my first event on this tour, 
was at the Basketball Hall of Fame where they actually had peach baskets that you could shoot in, which was pretty cool. And I've actually been to the world's oldest basketball court, which is in France. The, the, the world's oldest, oldest basketball court was in the U.S., but it burned down. So the next oldest is in France, and I got to play on that floor. Hey, that's pretty amazing. That's that's something that uh, Greg would be appreciative of, I think, even if he didn't like the sport. I think he would, yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell me, do you have any plans for a little bit more of Wimpy Kid? Have we? I, I assume we've not seen the last of Greg and the family. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. I think that we really depend on our cartoon characters to stick around. <laughs> and, you know, in a really unreliable world, it's been really great to have something reliable in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books and Greg Heffley and all the other ca- cartoon characters that are out there. We need some sort of stability. So that's a great way of saying there'll be more lovely Diary of a Wimpy Kid books on the way. Uh, in the meantime, Big Shot is out right now. So, uh, Jeff Kinney, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thanks for a great interview. I really appreciate it. Just a reminder, there's lots and lots of books lining the bookshelves at the moment because they are getting ready to be snaffled up for Christmas. One of my favourite ones is A Boy Called Christmas. Now, this is the first magical book in the best-selling Matt Haig's festive book series for children. I've interviewed Matt Haig and he is a brilliant. And in this book, well, if you believe that some things are impossible, you should put the book down immediately because this book is full of impossible things. A Boy Called Christmas is out right now in good bookshops and online. It'll get you in a really festive mood. It's also been made into a major Sky original film on Sky Cinema and it's available to watch. So get the book, read it, watch the film. You will have an extra festive time. It's going to be pretty brilliant. There's also, of course, lots of unfestive books around at the moment. Is unfestive a word? Probably not. Uh, we've got Explorers at Pirate Island by Alex Bell here at Fun Kids HQ, and it's brilliant. It's about half mermaid Ursula Jellyfin. Now, she's always longed for adventure, and this time, the stakes are higher than ever. The Collector is holding a group of children prisoner, and it's up to Ursula and her friends to set them free. There's zombie skeletons in this story, so if you fancy something Maybe not quite as Christmassy as A Boy Called Christmas. Well, check this one out, Explorers at Pirate Island. And that's pretty much it for this week's episode of Fun Kids Bookworms. We'll be back super duper soon with a Christmas special. In the meantime, have an amazing book reading couple of weeks. Remember, if you like this podcast, uh, follow it, subscribe to it, tell all your friends about it, and I'll see you soon. Bye! Um, it's got some amazingly pink and white flowers. The leaves look quite kind of, like, um, kind of furry, you know what I mean? It's a warm spring day in late March, and ever since the leaves have started to come out, Roby Joe has been wondering why some trees lose their leaves and some don't, and also, like, how the trees know when it's time to shed their leaves. To find out, join us on The Conversation's Curious Kids, wherever you get your podcasts.